Okay. Hi, we are in a new episode of the History and Politics podcast, and we have a great guest. We have Frank Miroslav, who has written for for C4SS uh, and and for and has hosted the the podcast All Power to Imagination, and yep. we are now going to talk about complexity. So, hi, Frank. Yeah. Hey, man, what's up? Um, you, you guys hearing this won't know this, but this is the second time I've recorded this because uh, the first time we <laughs> fucked up the recording. Uh, so <laughs> here's hoping we're more, you know, coherent and to the point. The the last one uh, really went all over the <laughs> it really went all over the place. Um, yeah, which you know is both good yeah. and bad. Yeah, I, I think so. So speaking about complexity, I feel that now that that people are are talking about uh, it, it was interesting. I was hearing uh, earlier on um, the uh, an interview that the, the the people of the Charter Cities Institute was, yeah, was yeah. doing to to Nathan Newworth, a, a professor of the of economics at Harvard. And and he was mentioned about the intersection between biological anthropology and and, and economics. I feel it is quite strange, it could sound, but in yeah. some ways, I, I I do think it, it it is also like the. I mean, it is the the feel of, of biological anthropology is going to to places that are very unexpected. So uh, there is a recent findings that that there is. Uh, Australonesian uh, ancestry in some populations of the Amazon in, 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 yeah, in yeah. Latin America. So That's that really interesting. It's quite wild. Yeah, and and I feel it is quite. Yeah, you you were saying. Oh, um, yeah. So I don't I don't like know about that in particular, but um, yeah, that that does like. I, I could conceive of that happening, you know, the, um, uh, like migration, like I, yeah, the, the history of human migration just, just by itself is like really fascinating. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, uh, anything like specific about it. Uh, like I, I, I'm not an expert on it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's quite fascinating. Yeah, I, I feel we we mentioned it. Uh, uh, I think uh, in our last talk, but uh, I feel that Cedric Barn has been one of the few on the left that has been defending the interests of, of the left in biological anthropology. Because I feel that if not, I think that there is a lot of room that that has been taken by by right wingers, which yeah yeah uh, a lot yeah, of yeah. times have very disturbing ideas about it. Yeah, yeah, I think um I one one of my interests is um and there's not much well, maybe I just haven't looked hard enough, but um I there isn't much really written on it is um uh sort of the left and the hard sciences and like uh how, you know, there was so so prior to uh the Cold War, uh in like the 30s and the 40s, there was actually like a lot of overlap uh, between the left and the hard sciences. Um, so for example, uh, there are like a lot of biologists who, uh, were part of the communist party of Great Britain. Um, I know just off the top of my head, 
uh, John Maynard Smith, who was uh, the inventor of evolutionary game theory. Um, he was part of the Communist Party until the tanks rolled on Hungary, and then you know he quit in protests because the uh, Communist Party supported that. Uh, I know uh, what's his face, uh, Banal, um, who was like this, you know, uh, who started I think the social, um, like some sort of like leftist science movement that was quite influential uh that's like completely forgotten about now but um he uh i think yeah he he like did some stuff uh relating to biology as well uh i know that a lot of physicists were um were left wing um uh uh yeah uh like um uh, yeah and and um like there, there was this whole thing around the Manhattan Project, where um, because of also you know the fact that like a lot of physicists um, were German exiles because they were Jewish, um, and so you know while they had more leftist beliefs, uh, they also like really really understandably frightened of Nazism, <laughs> so they they helped out and they you know uh, worked with the United States government and then. Um, like after that, it kind of fell. Um, like the relation fell apart, and you had like this. Um, you had this move to like uh, create a much more sort of like before before the Cold War started. Like physics, from what I can tell, or maybe maybe it was pre World War Two, but like it was a lot more. Um, it was like a lot more open, and it seemed to sort of have this. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I um, not not aristocratic, but like maybe like sort of libertine. It, it was like it was like a sort of thing done by like you know very like worldly and philosophically inclined people, and it attracted a lot of oddballs. And then after World War Two, uh, no, in World War Two and the Cold War, uh, because you know there was this demand, uh, f- created by the war for like you know just hard like people who could do engineering basically um and that required the training of a lot more physicists and the the you know the u.s army one it didn't have like the um it you know it didn't want like you know people who would like be more into a philosophical or you know like broader questions but also um you know just the fact that like prior to that i think that you know physics was taught in a far more intimate way and so you know you could actually get into these things because it wasn't um the sort of you know like uh it was like you know just a couple of people learning whereas you know when the demand increased you know the amount of people who could teach was relatively small and so you know you just pack like all these people into a classroom and that means you don't have like the time or space to like you know really get into these deeper questions um and i think i think that's a um that's a really unappreciated uh, dynamic um, because, you know, as as we are finding out, um, the like probably the most important, um, like you know, the, the most important industries uh, for like the future and like you know, social justice um, for like equality uh, will probably be decided in like how like tech industries play out, basically. Um, and the fact that, you know, 
uh, people who go into those industries don't get exposure to more left-wing ideas, um, that, like, that that that's a that's a really big deal. And you know, like, people would probably say, "Oh, yeah, that that that, that was just inevitable. Like, there was nothing we could do about that." But I I don't think so. I think that um, you know, had people foreseen this, uh, they would have been able to put in like more effort. Um, and they would have been able to like organize to preempt this sort of dynamic. And because, you know, um, like if you, if you've like looked at the salaries for what like people pay, get paid at like big tech companies, it's like really outrageous. And the reason they're able to like charge those salaries is because there are a limited number of people. And, you know, uh, that, that means, that means that, you know, like tech workers, uh, they have a privileged position and they can use that privilege if they are altruistic to like force these, you know, incredibly powerful companies that will, uh, you know, have more and more influence going forward. They can force them to like, you know, make changes. And that, that that's like a really big deal. And it kind of just took like that, those sort of things just took the left off guard, like caught the left off guard basically. Um so yeah, and, and like and like that that like all goes back to like you know uh, people scientists being like radical radicalized by like the um, Great Depression and you know like dynamics around like you know needing engineers to fight like you know industrial warfare and to you know do stuff in nuclear warfare and it's like decades in the making uh, and it's a really big deal but like no one no one's really aware of it. Um, and like the story I'm telling you might not, might not even be true. You know, like there might be things I'm missing or, you know, like it might not have happened that way. And the reason why is like, we just don't know it because no one's done the research. Um, so it's, it's, you can see why I'm interested in this, this area. <laughs> um, so I, I hope, I hope I answered yeah. your question. Yeah, I mean, it is really interesting now, now that I think about it. Uh, you always mention something that, that uh, a doctoral thesis in mathematics of why, from a mathematical perspective, uh, anarchism is the only rational choice. Oh, I would never say that. I, I would never say that. No, um, but- but there is a thesis that says that you, you have um, you, you you put the link once yeah. or twice or, or three yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, it's called um. Yeah, it's it called is quite... complexity rising by um. You nearby um. Oh, oh no! Do you mean um? There's there's no there's another one um. Uh, I think it's just called complexity and anarchism um, and it just says it it just basically draws connections between um complex systems science and anarchism. Uh, and and it says it says that it, like one in like uh you know if you accept complex system science like you kind of forced to accept anarchism which I I don't think is true um I would just say that it it's more it you know like gestures in that direction and like um you know uh like uh like makes a suggestive uh facial expression but it doesn't actually imply it um i i wouldn't i, I you know i don't feel comfortable saying that um so yeah yeah that that, that was a that was a, a curious topic of research i, I wasn't expecting that to be a, 
uh, uh, a topic of of interest to, to mathematicians, but but I, I think there there is a lot of diversity, and that is something that that sadly gets lost in the publishing world because there are a lot of theses that I think are really interesting. For example, yeah, yeah, yeah. in one area that I'm really interested, which is Latin American Jewish history, particularly the the colonial period, like the colonial. Latin American Jewish histories. There are a lot of interesting things, but sadly, like it is sometimes like the only reference I, I found about it are in, in in kind of reference to those theses, but which aren't published. So, mm. um, I mean, it 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 generates. I think, it, and and we will move on to 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 the to the topic of of kind of of distribution of knowledge to to kind of. I I feel that. That there is kind of a very, uh, I don't know how to say it, but I do feel that the the, the market for uh, the the publishing market has been very um, has been suffering a lot of of distortions. But mm. I, I will say in yeah, the Spanish speaking yeah, yeah. world, it, it has been even worse yeah. because like. Um, it, it, it like uh, so Argentina and 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 Spain have been suffering a lot from the from the economic crisis of 2008, mm. and and now they are still suffering a lot. And Mexico, to a less degree, and Colombia, it's it's kind of mixed because kind of the the industry is, is impartially subsidized. But mm. that has led that there are less translations and there are less publications. So some decades ago, it was easier for a for an academic thesis to become a book and now it's much more difficult and and and, and this is is very curious because i feel that in, in some ways the the i mean the the, the way that that i, I guess in, in like the market model of of, of spotify or, or of um it is curious i mean it, it is certainly I think we, we mentioned it a little bit uh, uh, <laughs> in yeah. the yeah, We're going to keep on referencing but, this conversation yeah. that no one's going to be able to hear. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was it was curious, but but it, I mean, uh, the the possibility kind of 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 of, of creating kind of alternative. Uh, um, Alternative ways to to get uh, information has become like basically yeah. uh, ebooks in, in which whichever form, uh, whether legal, illegal, like, <laughs> but it, it has become the, the only way because um, that is a problem also because the 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 issue is that some. Um, some universities have now restricted the use of PDF as thesis, so mm. it is quite complex to access if you don't have uh, access to that university in particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it is quite complex, and I feel that that, that there is uh, a lot of complexity. But but talking about text, I, I was I often. I'm reminded of how things that could seem completely obscure sometimes become like massive popular culture phenomenons. So um, the 50 Shades of Grey was initially kind of 
slash fiction of uh, Twilight. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, 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 I, yeah. I often am reminded of that, and it's like one of the most crazy things I have here, like because the 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 I mean it, it is so crazy, like I, I, I like it, I I had a podcast that that, that was uh, that existed like when when YouTube Hangouts function relatively well. And I have as, as guests like uh, Matt Krishman, for example, like of Chubbo Drop House when nobody knew him. Like I mm. had also uh, Michael Tracy when nobody knew him. Yeah. I had Freddy the Boyer also when nobody knew him. It was crazy because, I mean, they, they literally didn't have, didn't work too much known so i just yammed them and they accepted yeah, to, yeah, to yeah, be yeah. a guest and, and it was great and then right. well, and, he, and he's hoping he's hoping i also then, blow up then yeah i mean it is quite curious uh it is it was strange like sometimes like people that that were kind of part of a particular niche you know, like become mainstream, and there are days that in my timeline, old people are talking about one of those three, and it's it's kind of crazy. Mm. And I feel that that is, you know, like the the what what was on the on the news about the the kind of uh, uh, the I do feel we could we could return to to a topic that that I feel it, it's interesting. Um, which is kind of the this 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 talk about the nineties, and I feel mm-hmm. that now there is it's creating a slightly developed kind of historiography of the nineties because I feel that nineties is, is a is a decade that, that for those who were born in it, I guess it has some nostalgia, but at the same time, it was a decade that formerly hasn't been that much studied. So mm-hmm. I, I do feel there is kind of a, an interest on trying to understand those 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 elements, and and I feel that there is something of an element that which is sometimes forgotten because like when people talk about education, they generally like it, particularly in the U.S. they generally refer to the Ivy League, but. Uh, there was a film that I think has been much more influenced, in, in, much more influential in, in, in the in the '90s than that what people will imagine, which was Slaker. Uh, curiously, the the name that that in some ways I feel define a, a generation in some way. The Slacker, and, and, and that book that 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 is Slacker, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that. That that film, I mean, was shot on you know on the exteriors of the of the University of Texas at Austin. Like it was kind of random conversations that happened at, at, at different points and, and, and moments, and 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 it kind of had a very paranoid, uh, conspiratorial kind of perspective. Mm. But it, it kind of reflected a lot of of the fears that 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 there were kind of. That the people and it, the funny thing it was it was shot in the late eighties, but I feel that in some ways kind of the sometimes kind of the the intellectual bangers in some ways kind of, of feel things that that are coming uh, sooner. Um, I was actually mentioned this to the other day to 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 a, a British leftist, but that, that lives in, in Brazil. Uh, so 
in Bolivia there was a revolution in in 1952. Uh, there was a revolution in which Trotskyists play a, a curious role, but then were betrayed by the nationalists. So uh, <laughs> there were a lot of changes. But the funny thing about that uh, revolution is that as 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 one Trotskyist. Uh, the the almost legendary Filemón Escobar, who has was uh, a leader of the mining unions, has mentioned uh, uh, there was a book basically written ten years before, in which was described a revolution, and more or less a lot of the things that that happened in that book happened in the revolution, which was kind of crazy. So I mean, this idea that that things are all, in some way on the air, like that 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 there is. Uh, this idea is something is called the revolution there that, that there is a feeling that some things are coming and then mm. then kind of the ethos of, of, of an era and I feel it, it is quite curious because when when for example like we have talked about the the the, the things that are very obscure and then come to the mainstream yeah. one of those elements is bitcoin like when people yeah. started talking about Bitcoin, it was marginal. But now in some countries, it's, it's becoming bigger because like in Venezuela, because the economy yeah, is imploding, yeah. a lot of people are using Bitcoin, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's quite curious. So what are, are, are your thoughts on Bitcoin? How are uh, the possibilities around it? Um, uh, I, think that, I think that Bitcoin is um, it's a great way to move a lot of money around and like it also you know helped out uh sex workers and drug dealers which is good but it like has a heck of a lot of problems um um so i i've heard like a bunch of interesting things about holochain um which like doesn't use proof of work proof of work or proof of stake uh and yet can still supposedly do like uh, Bitcoin like no um, blockchain like functions. Um, I don't get how it works, and uh, like it kind of seems dodgy to, dodgy to me. But if like it actually does work, um, it'll it'll like actually be world changing because um, you can you can basically it like from what I understand like the premise is basically is that you can sort of get you know this uh you know the like uh you can like you know uh get like the certainty of blockchain but without like having to waste you know all the computation required that's required for proof of work or the um or like with proof of stake the problem is is it's like a rich get richer thing because um basically everyone like it, it, it basically you can like you can like get more returns by um having like putting in more money um putting more money up for stake makes you more likely to um like get selected to do like to like certify the uh transactions that are being uh put up to the blockchain and so like there's like a you know compounding effect um so people people are worried about like wealth runaway in that system uh so if if you can like somehow fix that uh i think i think like blockchain like it'll actually 
you know live up to the hype um but but if not um i think i think like blockchain will just well i don't know maybe there's like you know some cool things like um i am a fan of uh nori which is this um company that's like developing a blockchain developing a ledger system for um tracking uh uh carbon sequestration in soil for farmers um and that that seems really cool i've used their service a bunch of times um but like if if like if they don't deal with like the fact that and and you know i'm not an expert so maybe they have but if they don't deal with the fact that like it requires just a shitload of energy i see blockchain then as basically just like uh another you know thing on the geopolitical landscape that you know people have to deal with and that in like that's both good and bad but like i feel like i feel like something like the ideal version of holochain which you know uh one thing that really got me was like the fact that you could like basically do like mutual credit um without like having to set up like banking institutions and if that was actually possible that'd be like a really 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 big deal um i am you know i i will believe it when i see it because like it's a, it's such a big deal that you know i i just i i wouldn't want to overhype it um and i want to be cautious around it because like you know uh like getting it right really matters because you know if if, if like it takes off and you have like i don't know like a million people using it but there's like you know the security vulnerability in it uh that's a really fucking big deal because you know now you have like this economy that has the security vulnerability in it and you know like bad actors uh whether they be like state backed or not maybe you know maybe they're just like you know like cyber criminals uh can exploit it um and then like the high any entire thing comes crumbling down um and so yeah like you know um like i i really i like i i you know i really do uh, when I live in a world where like blockchain actually lives up to the hype and we can get like, you know, uh, I, we can get like trustable ledger systems that don't require a institution to maintain that, that, that like that right there is like, you know, technology on par with like the invention of writing. Uh, it's a really, really big deal. Uh, you know, will affect everything and any, anything. Um, but, uh, the success, <laughs> the, the, like the, you know, the cryptocurrency space, um, is to put it mildly, not the most trustworthy place. Uh, a lot of scams going on, which is completely understandable. Um, uh, so yeah, um, you know, that like, I, I, I remain cautiously optimistic and the reason why is that like outside of bitcoin which you know uh basically just seems like a way right now uh like it's basically a speculative bubble uh and a little way for maybe like chinese capitalists to escape currency controls um which you know isn't the worst thing in the world uh wish wish they wouldn't like use so much electricity but whatever um yeah um you know like 
I I will I will become a more ardent supporter when I see like it used for things beyond that. Um, and and you know I guess I guess like in the case of like Venezuela or um, is it Nigeria? I don't know. Like some some countries I know have been using um like Bitcoin as a way to like deal with you know state shittiness around currency controls and inflation and stuff, which which like is genuinely interesting. Um, and I just wish they were using like a better currency than Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it is getting complex because the, I mean the the the, the cryptocurrency is like it it is quite curious because the the guy the, the GameStop mm. uh, bets and and Wall Street bets and and yeah. I, I do feel we are seeing a time where where kind of the 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 idea that you know like capitalism and free markets are the same thing is kind of uh, being um, you know the myth is disappearing. I think something that that is really interesting. Uh, actually, the Cato Institute of all places published an article about it about the rise and fall of Slovakian libertarianism. So hmm. Slovakian, like many countries in, in the in the in Eastern Europe after the fall of the of the Berlin Wall started to liberalize its economy in a lot of ways. But when they were considering um, establishing free banking, they actually uh, uh, like kind of the reforms back back off because obviously like uh, if if the central bank will not have the monopoly to print money, uh, it, it will be a, a much more complicated issue that that just kind of uh, of of reforms, which I I do think that that are quite curious. Uh, I, I I mean it is interesting because uh, some economists have pointed out that there are interesting difference between between the different countries in Eastern Europe and their, their forms of, of liberalization. But mm-hmm. I, I do think a, a point where I think all of the countries in Eastern Europe, uh, uh, as far as I know, put uh, put a stops was the the, the issue with mix, messing with the central bank. Mm. So um, that is a... a I do think in the U.S. in some states it's legal to melt silver. I think so. So I mean, it's not just uh, Eastern Europe, but but also there are a lot of of laws in many places that that limit even the use of some minerals to, to because like people think that are, is if someone is going to melt it, the artisan it is to to make fake money or something. But uh, yeah, I mean, it is curious. The the rise of of, of Bitcoin is certainly. Um, I mean, I was hearing like uh, uh, an interview with, with Slavok Zizek on, on Bloomberg of all places, and and he was saying like that the Wall Street uh, bets kind of thing. Like he reminded that there was a, a presidential candidate in, in Croatia that once said that the problem is corruption, but the problem is not the politicians is corrupt, but that everyone should be corrupt and everyone should make money. <laughs> and in some ways, kind of that reminded me the, uh, of, of Wall Street bets. Like if the system is rigged, like let's all benefit from the rigged system. So it was kind of that, that sentiment. Yeah. I, I feel it is it, going to, to, to get into some weirder places, but 
I do feel it, it it's interesting um and maybe we we will move from 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 this to 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 the topic of of of, of education which is is quite curious um so richard hanania uh who is uh, um he's has his politics are fairly complicated like he's <laughs> uh, he's an anti right winger but anti woke uh, okay. I, I, his politics are uh, but but the issue is that he was mentioning like uh, that a lot of studies ca have shown that, that there is a, a, a significant element in education of, of what you know like kind of of credentialing so mm, that, that yep, not yep, everything yep. happening in classrooms is learning and that somehow uh, a lot of people that it seem rational are, are kind of like acting like crazy in order to to the schools to open, so um, one could make a lot of 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 of, of, of theories behind it that, that they don't want to spend that much time with their own kids mm -hmm. uh, that they are uh, or or that, uh, that there is something else going on, and which is I I do feel that there there is kind of this narrative like uh, that you know like the with the epistemological level of, of this pandemic has had you mm -hmm. know the people are making their own conclusions on 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 one thing but on the other they are not kind of reasoning that much i mean the the issues of, of the studies about like uh about you know like kind of uh, of it's true that not socializing, you know, completely with anybody obviously generates a, a huge effect. But some of, of the parents are arguing that the, the, the effects are much academic than than the social ones. So I do feel that 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 raises a point. It, it what is, is 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 the real goal? If they themselves are being diluted, or or, or if or if they, it, it's part of a strategy, which I think it's quite curious because it, it's not as clear cut as, as, as in other issues. Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Ed education is, um, is a very, very weird area. Um, and I don't feel like, I don't feel confident like saying anything definitively on it um i think i think like it seems you know obvious to me uh that credentialing is like a really big part of it uh but like credentialing is like this really unexamined aspect well i i wouldn't say unexamined like obviously like a lot of people have written a lot of like intelligent and interesting things on it and like how like the, its consequences and implications but like i feel like i feel like a lot of people just kind of shoehorn it into their uh pre-existing framework and like which you know is like that's that's what people i do i guess uh but um yeah i think i think there's like i think there's like a lot of things where like i, I and i think i think maybe you can make like an analogy to housing where like you know in america uh you've got all this like housing speculation and it's driving up prices and that's really shitty uh but you know it like it like really just all comes back to the fact that like um like homeowners 
have basically captured like the um, mechanisms for uh, regulate like building new houses, um, no, regulating the construction of new homes. Uh, I remember seeing on Twitter like uh, a week ago, uh, someone uh, posting about how like BlackRock, there was like a memo passed around BlackRock executives or something being like, oh yeah, you know, like we're going to invest in housing. Uh, no, we're going to buy like up housing in like areas where they make it really hard to build new housing uh, to make money. Um, and I, I think I think there's like a lot of things where, you know, like making it easier to enter wouldn't solve every problem but like it's you know um outside of you know people who have invested in it which actually because of how like pension funds and shit works might actually be a lot of people but irregardless putting them aside for the moment um like you'd see a lot of Pareto improvement um just by making like entry a lot easier is 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 what I think about it uh like again might not be true but like I feel like I feel like in a lot of cases that's the fact like that's how things work right yeah I mean something that I find curious about education for example like um in 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 Latin America for example Argentina is a very particular country in in the sense of that their higher uh, education in the university system in the public universities, you don't have to give an entry exam, so you just enter. Mm-hmm. But the issue is that 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 they have a really high academic pressure, so a lot of people drop out in the first year, mm-hmm. um, and and that's also a, a, a problem because there are people that are all illusion that, that you know they are going to to study and 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 there is like the education is free but then they go and they fail badly and they have to remake their their plans for the future and yep. I, I do feel it, it is quite complex like um, I I feel certainly that there are there are certainly like um, attempts to to change kind of how education has been done so particularly about programming like there is kind of of, of kind of extended boot camps so basically mm. one semester of, of studies in, in programming and, and then try to connect those people with jobs so yeah. so that kind of of, of, of I do think it is interesting. I don't like how t- sometimes it is like sell the idea in the kind of GD bands, like let's uh, train, uh, mm. you know, like uh, to program, like to, to, to truckers. It's not that there are truckers that, pro- that aren't willing or, or, or could do it, but obviously it's not going to be all. Um, probably a lot of these programs around like... Uh, uh, short-term like programming courses are going to be uh, their main target is going to be relatively young people. Mm, um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And I think it's it's a positive thing. And and I do think in the sense of housing, I mean, if people have seen some things from El Alto, like the the cholets were kind of of uh, 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 some sort of palace which have a lot of Andean design, although some look like the Transformers, to be honest. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, they, they 
I mean, El Alto is a very interesting city because it's one of the few cities in Latin America that has a really a, um, a indigenous majority. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the, if the people don't are much aware of colonial Latin American history, if a city started having like the uh, an indigenous majority, their status as city was revoked. Right. So, so the idea was that cities were white or 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 at least mixed or at least. But but the idea, you know, like so in some ways, El Alto is very radical, and that is the project of a truly indigenous city. And one of the things that has allowed, you know, like particular in the popular imagination, not just in, in, in Bolivia, Latin America, but but everywhere, is that kind of of this uh, of this kind of particular architecture that that has Andean motives, but also global reference. And and in in some ways, uh, you know, that is possible because of basically the lacking of housing regulation. So people people can 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 create a house you know like that looks like a transformer if if, if they want to because <laughs> because there is this possibility and 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 i mean for example like in 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 the us i was reading like you know like some people try to put things in their in their backyard and and then they they get in trouble because the the neighbors call the police and yeah, yeah so so it's 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 kind of messy. Like I do feel that there is a lot of possibilities. Like in, in the try to 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 move housing to to our no a new new paradigms. And yeah, and, yeah, and speaking yeah. of housing, I feel that one interesting subject is is immigration. Like um, mm, yeah. So immigration is a is a driver of economic growth, but at the same time there is. Uh, a need to, to to talk about the, the need of housing, obviously, because if if immigrants, even if they are relatively well off, you know, like, but if they are, uh, like, the housing costs that there exist in 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 the West are are higher than basically everywhere else, uh, with with very few exceptions, which are very distorted because there are kind of, of places where there is a lot of, of, of petroleum, you know, like, uh, and maybe those immigrants. Maybe they will afford even the, the prices of the West, but 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 that's for because of very particular kind of distortions. Uh, yeah. But in general, uh, the a lot of authorities are in even the 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 woke liberal progressive types <laughs> are not necessarily that, that fond of 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 of, of the regulating um, the the not only. Um, not only immigration, but even like licensing. So uh, yeah. Andrew Young, which was uh, some libertarians have some some respect for him, was was coming out against like street vendors, and that was I, I think it is it shows how like Young. I mean, Young is a mix of of, of a lot of things, and I yeah. feel that in in some ways he's less consistent because like uh, obviously like. A lot of the street vendors are, are are actually from Latin America, particularly in New York City, and and they don't speak necessarily that that well English. And 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 as far as I know, like the permits to to get the you know the permits done are, are kind of a nightmare. There is a very limited cap yeah. on, on the number of permits. I, and and the funny thing is, is is Stockholm is kind of of of, of 
you know, like that in the minds of, of many conservative kind of the socialist dystopia is kind yeah. of like acting very less affair. It, it has been like um, uh, kind of regularizing, you know, the street vendors, which is quite curious. But yeah, I mean, I feel that those are kind of, of the loves that, that, that are sometimes uh, complex to analyze. I mean, I think someone brought a medium, a really interesting analyst mm. uh, of, of East Asian economies and how like Orthodox libertarians, if they look at East Asia, they will look that, you know, the, the, the kind of Orthodox uh, libertarian line, both on the Chicago school or, or, or on the Austrian school, mm. didn't, didn't make the cut for, 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 for East Asia because all countries from China to, to Taiwan that have very diverse, uh, obviously, political economic systems have more or less in some way do a mix of, of, of public investing yep. uh, uh, and, and, you know, in some ways, uh, the, the public-private sector working um, not not in the coordination in other places, but, you know, try to do their things in, in, in their own and kind of coexist in some way. And and something I, I often find interesting is what uh, I interviewed to a Spanish libertarian when we, he was asked what is the most functional housing system in the world. He mentioned that it's Vienna, and and the Vienna system is very status in some way. You know, it's very yimby, like, but it's it's very like the the state kind of has the control of it. That's and I do think it, it, that is a quite curious kind of concession. Like, but but I do think that requires kind of some intellectual consistency because, like, it's true. I mean, I, I, mean, I do feel Singapore, there is. Some- sorry, doesn't Singapore have a similar model though? Like they, um, uh, you know, they like government owns all the housing. Um, but you know, like. Uh, libertarians will be like, oh, well, some libertarians will be like, ah, oh, you know, Singapore is like where it's at. Like, you know, it's it's like a good model for how things should work. Well, I mean, Steve Bar once pointed out that, that technically Singapore is Leninist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Singapore is quite quite curious in its in its kind of of political formation. Uh, I mean, Austria also has a, an influence of, of, of obviously the Austro Marxist, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, those are are, are are fairly similar. They have some some difference, but, but they are similar in many ways. I, I do think it is it is interesting because even in Lima, which is not that developed, I, I am seeing you know the kind of of beginnings of a, of a NIMBY movement. Uh, it, it's true that this is very small, but but it, I feel it could grow, particularly in the more uh, wealthier areas of, of, of the city. Um, I, I do think something that 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 is related to to the kind of of housing issue. I, I do feel is the the kind of uh, of which is a, a little bit more. Um, more, I, I feel I'm gonna try to, to explain it from a Latin American perspective, which is like the use of nuclear power. And now that people are talking about Fukushima, so uh, my, my mother studied uh, biochemistry and pharmacy, and, oh. and then she studied 
molecular biology, but some of her colleagues, uh, you know, decided to to study like uh, much more, uh, you know, like much more in the chemical kind of orientation. So one of his of her colleagues, uh, his uh, colleague from her. Uh, works at the you know work at the at the nuclear station in Peru. Like there is a very small nuclear station that that works to to produce like uh, some enzymes for the for the um, how to say it for the government well, for the medical industry. Oh, uh, okay. So, yep. so they 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 yeah. But there is a project now in Bolivia which is interesting, which is. Uh, Using a nuclear station for power, which I think it, it will be one of the first case in the Andean region, as, as far as I know. Uh, and it's interesting because it's in El Alto, uh, which is kind of the city I, I have been talking and, and that I think it's, it's the city that is more visible in the news lately. I, I do feel that, that the, the, the kind of movement that was, I think, anti-nuclear in the in the sense of of, of relating the nuclear energy with kind of of, of, of militarism. Yeah. I do think it is shifting to a war in, in which the, there is kind of this understanding of, of nuclear energy as, as as kind of of you know uh, of being useful in, in other ways. And I wonder what what is what are your thoughts on, on that? Um. So. I don't have a source on this, but um, I've heard it from a bunch of people. So, you know, that's basically a source, right? Uh, is, um, thank you for laughing at that. Uh, so back in like the 50s and 60s, when um, nuclear power is just getting going, you had um, Eisenhower's uh, Adams for Peace thing, which was like, Basically, like, we're going to, you know, build nuclear reactors to have really cheap power, which will, you know, have good consequences. And, you know, that's using atoms for peace. Um, and that didn't really, like, well, obviously, you know, we had nuclear power reactors built for energy. Uh, but from what I can tell, uh, a lot of them were built, like, for, sorry, were built for um, fissile material first and then power second, uh, both in uh, the US, in the UK, and in the Soviet Union. But there was this alternate type of reactor called a thorium reactor, which uses um, thorium instead of uranium as the like material that you use to set off reactions. Uh, and thorium uh, is, from what I can tell, uh, it is proliferation resistant, so it's a lot harder to build. Uh, no, it, like it doesn't produce uh, the material that you can use to make nuclear weapons, and it also um, it, it's also more more resilient to meltdowns. But um, we never went down that path because um, you know nuclear energy, like there was no private um, investing going on. I think. Uh, and it was like all done by states and they wanted nuclear energy for the purposes of nuclear weapons. And so we never, um, we never got to see thorium reactors. Uh, and that, that's like a really, that's like a, you know, it's, it's, it's again, um, going back to like my previous stuff around left-wing scientists. This is another example of this sort of thing where, you know, uh, in terms of like the actual number of people, 
um there there was like you know relatively few like i don't know how many nuclear engineers there would have been in like say the united states in the 50s but like probably not that many uh and you know had things been different had you know like people recognize that this would be a really big deal that you know like there was a trade-off between you know reactors that were liable to melt down and that would produce nuclear weapons and so would become very unpopular with the public uh versus like safer and you know safer reactors that also don't produce weapons grade material uh had like you know we pushed really really hard for that uh you know well had people pushed really hard for it um like we might have you know forum reactors across the world today like you know it might have been like the same sort of situation as coal and like that 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 would like create so many downstream consequences um that you know like the the world would look so completely different if we have primarily sourced our energy from safe nuclear reactors um it would be it would be a really big deal um and so what what does that have to do with like nuclear right now well you have um i know so i know uh what is it i think it's like the breakthrough energy ventures or something it's like a uh it's like a technology fund you know funded by like bill gates and some other billionaires uh basically doing like long-term r&d uh, for technologies that like they see as being vitally important for fighting climate change. Um, and I think, you know, next generation nuclear, uh, which, you know, might have some of the properties, uh, like might, you know, uh, will have like the properties of like, you know, not pro- proliferation resistance and, um, like meltdown resistant, uh, like you know they want to build reactors like that because you know um there's like some really cool charts out there i think our world and data did a recent one on renewable energy uh, a recent like essay on renewable energy where you know they have all their you know pretty charts uh and they have one you know showing the like price declines of renewable energy over the past 10 years and it's like insane like you know it's gone from like a hundred dollars a kilowatt to like you know um like you know uh, it's yeah it's it, it's like declined by like a factor of like a hundred or something uh it's like really significant price declines and the reason why is that uh you know r&d yes but also like you know uh there are cost declines that come with just you know producing like more stuff and we've been doing that with solar panels and now solar is uh in many parts of the world it is cheaper to install solar panels than it is to like uh actually just buy electricity from coal power stations and that, that that's like really really good um it's gonna have a whole bunch of whole bunch of consequences you know the fact that like uh people can now own the means of producing energy and like have it on their rooftop that's like a that's like a huge deal um it's gonna reshape the geopolitical landscape et cetera et cetera um but uh nuclear has not had similar price declines. In fact, I think from in the past decade, the cost of nuclear energy has actually gone up. And the reason why is that, you know, um, people understandably and governments have um, a lot of concerns about it and they like regulate the shit out of it because, you know, uh, when they melt down or, you know, when people steal 
uh, fissile material, like bad shit can fucking happen. And so, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and so if you were to design reactors that, you know, didn't have these problems, you could hypothetically anyway, uh, have less regulation, uh, which would allow the sort of same scaling up that we've seen with solar and wind, uh, which would bring the price down a lot. And like, yeah, uh, that that would have significant consequences as we've already established. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds interesting. I, I, I feel that lately, uh, particularly when left is here about nuclear energy, it's because of fossilism. <laughs> Which, yeah, which yeah, I yeah. think it, it, I, uh, so yeah, um, it, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, Posadism, like that's. I actually, um, my my theory about Posadism is, um, like, uh, it's it's popularity. Well, I don't. I I think it's like emergence, and then it's like resurgence. Popularity has like something to do with the fact that like. I really don't think that political philosophy has grappled with the existence of nuclear weapons. Um, like it, it, and, and that like is really, really reasonable. Um, you know, because it's just like, what do you, what do you even fucking do? Um, you know, um, I know that like there's, you know, like the Dr. Strangelove, um, sort of like, archetype of like you know this like game theory obsessed um like weirdo um which like you know because like nuclear weapons are just like like just so like beyond anything um and like you know like the people the the actual like you know people who are like reasoning about them and like trying to like do strategy for them uh in the 20th century during the cold war um you know like it, it is like you know this like kind of just absurd uh sort of well i i, I don't know it, it like it like really is um it it, it just like you know it, it like i i actually like kind of want to make analogies to like oh like you know it's like it's like almost spiritual i imagine uh like actually like getting in and like having to do the numbers because you know it, it is just like uh it's like a frame of reference just so beyond anything that like humanity has really had to deal with before um and um yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i i think we have talked a lot of things so i was wondering in order to, to end, what what is the the, the relation in complexity that, that that has uh had you think more about lately? Uh wait, what what's the relation from complexity to what exactly? I mean how how is the the complexity systems and how what is your kind of of ending reflections so so the uh, complexity around complexity systems so so like why why am i into it why why like why do i you know think it's really important yes yes okay um yes yeah i think um i think that uh okay let me let me think about this so 
the way the way I would put it is I think that like uh I think that the postmodernists like they kind of got it right in that um you know the meta narratives at least the meta narratives that were popular that were received um kind of went into crisis for various reasons uh basically after World War One. Um, and then, you know, uh, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed, uh, over the coming decades, like everyone kind of caught up and like basically freaked out. Um, and that, that was for very good reason. Um, because like a lot of like the popular narratives that like people had used to sort of justify and think about the world, uh, were in a bunch of ways, like pretty shitty and they didn't, you know, um, like they didn't they didn't like describe things uh, and they didn't, you know, ma- like the, the map didn't match the territory as they say. Um, so, you know, okay. So postmodernists got that right. Um, okay, cool. Um, but you know, their solution like, isn't, isn't all that great. Um, uh, you know, I don't, I think um, you can certainly like try and so, so yeah. Okay. So what, what is a, what is a meta narrative? It is like this like broader frame that we use to make sense of the world and what's in it. Um, and so that 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 includes like underlying assumptions, axioms, but also stuff like ethics and like you know values. So like you know what what what's in the world, but also like where do we want to go? Um, and I don't think you can really live without those. Um, you can like. You can certainly like you know try to play a game where you like uh, obfuscate and like make yourself like you know as irrational as as impossible, uh, but that means you can't like actually do anything. Um, and you know if if you do that, like you'll just kind of not do anything. And if you don't have people to take care of you, you'll die. Uh, so you know, I, I, so like yeah, I, I I think that I think that like you know having frames that like you know, make sense of a world and that, you know, actually are accurate. That's a good thing. Uh, having values and like stuff to orientate yourself towards. That's also a good thing. Um, and I think, I think that like complexity science, uh, no complex system science, sorry. Complexity science is like related to computational complexity, which is rel, which is relevant, but like, it's not the same thing. Anyway. Um, I think that complex system science, uh, is accurate. And I think it also gives you stuff to aim towards. And that's, that's like why, that's like why I'm into it. And I think that what we are seeing, um, with upheaval over all over the world with, you know, like a lot of very shoddy intellectual work coming out from all corners. Um, and you know, like a lot of sort of, uh, like stochastic, like random, like incoherence, um, like on the part of like movements, I think is the fact that all that comes from is the fact that we have inherited models of the world and like things that we should, and we, we've also inherited like values and norms that are increasingly becoming detached from uh reality basically and um that that that's a problem and i think i think like the incoherence and like the sort of you know like a lot of a lot of people 
uh, you know, I think Mark Fisher uh, is capitalist realism is probably the most well-known example. Uh, complain about like the like the seeming you know uh, weird, incoherent like feeling of at once like feeling like stasis, but at the same time feeling like you know constant energy and movement and reinvention. And I think I think I think that primarily comes from the fact that we have inherited models of the world, inherited values, inherited ways of orientating ourselves that don't match up with reality. And I think I think that if you want to, you know, if you want to impact the world, which I do, um, at least I, I, I'd, I'd like to believe that I do. Um, I think I think you need accurate models because you know. Um, there are a lot of very angry, very pissed off people out there, um, and they are, uh, quite a few of them are willing to do quite stupid things uh, in terms of you know their own like uh, livelihood, um, and you know they they are pretty actually pretty crappy at actually making significant change both on the left and the right, uh, and I think the reason why is like you know. Um, if you don't know like where to find the points of leverage, uh, you can you know do like regard like regardless of the actual consequences, you can do things that, like are pretty audacious. But you know if they don't actually like if if it's not actually like tractable, if it doesn't actually connect to anything, uh, you know like all that audacity is wasted. And you know, I, I I think I think audacity is important. And you know, I I have some friends um, who you know have done like some really really cool things, um, but like, um, and and they also like have good maps of the world. I I, I don't want to say they're stupid, but um, you know, I think I think that like if you really if you really want to like you know actually affect things, you need to know like where the points of leverage are. Uh, and so that's, that's, and I think, and I think, uh, complex system science, I think is a really, really good tool for finding those points of leverage. So does that answer your question? <laughs> I, I think so. Um, yeah, it has been a, a, a really interesting, uh, conversation, um, so where do people can can find what are your next projects when um yeah so i'm currently uh me and some friends um so emmy bevancy uh who is this really cool uh yeah she she's amazing um and she's like uh currently working on this like open source uh intelligence tool called the social media analysis toolkit um and yeah, she's like doing a whole bunch of cool stuff. But um, me and her and some other people started this project called um, the Plausible Possible, which is like um, it's like it's like sort of like uh, anarchy, lefty, um, like futurism, uh, complex systems, um, like science fiction, uh, yeah, just like a like whole bunch of stuff. Um, it currently like I'd, I'd say we probably like post you know um like things like like you know, a couple things a month right now um but um i think i think i think like over the course of like this year and the next i think we're gonna get like a really a bunch of really cool stuff um through that i i am currently working on a uh 
like an analysis uh, of left wing writings on neoliberalism. Um, so yeah, no. Speaking speaking of crappy maps of the world, I think that like uh, leftists have gotten a lot wrong on neoliberalism, and I think that's like directly responsible for like a lot of the paralysis we see today on the left. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully going to have that out within a month. And then after that, I want to, um, I want to write like a big thing on, uh, looking at like technology, like basically technological sabotage. Um, there's this, um, book came out like a decade ago called Capitalist Power, uh, which has sort of seen a resurgence in the last couple of years um, of it, it's like basically like a big book on political economy and the basic like the basic thesis is like uh, capital uh, like large sums of capital is basically a, a proxy for power and um, it like I don't agree with everything but it's like you know quite quite analytic and um, I think I think that's really good anyway uh, one one argument they make they so they they follow on from um, Veblen and he was a progressive and he's like one of his main ideas was um the notion that um capitalists actually self-sabotage um so they like they will sabotage broader industries for the pursuit of profit um and um yeah i i've been looking into a whole bunch of different uh technological examples and it seems like this is a recurring thing again and again like you just see uh you know paths that we could have taken in terms of technology that would have been more efficient um or you know more flexible or just just like superior on like a bunch of metrics and you know uh if if we were actually in a free market uh you know we probably would have taken that path but we didn't and um I think that like the sabotage analogy works really well. Um, and, and, and also, um, oh, and also the, so there's, there's a sabotage, there's the sabotage, but there's also like worker control. Um, yeah. Like James C. Scott, uh, has this like throwaway paragraph in seeing like a state where it's like, yeah, like, you know, capitalists prioritize work and control and then efficiency. And you also see that a lot. And I think, I think like that's, that's like really, really important. Um, I think that a lot of, a lot of leftists are like, you know, oh, we're just going to wait for like capitalism to develop and then we're going to like take it over and then we're going to run it ourselves. And I think, I think there's like a really, really strong case to be made that actually, capitalism is not developing the most efficient like means of production what it's, what it's actually doing is it's creating uh it's like really optimizing for control and then efficiency and i think i think that explains like a lot of the weirdness and pathologies and like breaks from uh marxist assumptions well like orthodox marxist assumptions um of course you know uh, the great thing about Marxism is that, you know, there are so many Marxists and they've said so many different things that, you know, you can say pretty much anything about, like, you can say, oh, you know, like, uh, Marx the Marxist assumption that X and someone can easily find you a Marxist that thinks the opposite of X for probably, like, any issue. Uh, so, yeah, um, th those are my, like, two major projects right now. Um, I Oh, uh, I also wrote a... Um, I was also I also took part in a um, 
an exchange uh, for the Center for Stateless Society on planned economies and decentralization uh, that is probably the most comprehensive um, overview of the topic that like we have seen this century. And the fact that, you know, some podunked uh, like weird anarchist uh, think tank that like probably makes like, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month off Patreon uh, were the people to do this and not anyone else, I think says a lot about society. So yeah, you should definitely go read that. Um, one of the pieces was um uh it was on like cybernetic communism and it was done by a physicist and it's like the most i think uh like like most high level analytic attempt to articulate like what um anarcho-communism would look like um well like uh, a technologically enabled anarcho-communism um so yeah i i recommend it just for that but i i think i think every piece in that exchange is worth reading uh, and it's really good. Uh, I also do uh, I also do all power to the imagination, uh, which is part of a non-servium media thing. Um, that yeah, that if you want to hear me like ramble on and do like random walks through uh, my interests, that's that's a great that's a great uh, podcast to check out. Um, Oh yeah, uh, my Twitter, uh, which is you know probably where I'm most active, is mutual underscore a y y d e. You know, follow me or don't, whatever. It's cool. Um, yeah, like and subscribe, folks. <laughs> well, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, yeah, Frank. you too, man. I, I, I hope. That- yeah, I, I hope really, really hope that like this time we actually record the audio. <laughs> yeah. Also, I really hope this time we record the audio. Yeah. Also that. Holy shit! Uh, I love talking to you, man, yes. but I don't want to do this a third time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So thanks. All right. Yep. Thanks, man. <laughs>